0: Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Brilliant. Um Book recommendations. Today's the last day in our series, More Than Me. These are books we've referred to. Um, this book, The Best of Friends by a guy called Phil Knox, um, is just really, really helpful. If this series has... Um, stirred stuff for you. I'd like to think about this some more. This is the book for you. It's not difficult to read. The text is quite large. There's pictures. Um, And it's probably not too late to join Tim and Marilyn's group who are going through it this term in midweek groups. So there's that one. And if the size of this book is scary, then this book is much smaller. And this book really uh, has a simple, straightforward look at What is it to be close friends, and how do we do it better? It's called True Friendship by Vaughan Roberts, and is a very, very, very helpful book. Available from all good bookstores and probably some bad ones, too, Um, both of them. Full recommendation, if you'd like to go further, because of all the series I think we've ever done, I think this is the one I've heard the most feedback about, Um, loads of positive things people have had all kinds of stories how it's helped them freed them from um, pressure they felt or um, helped them understand friendship a bit better and please if you have feedback I would love to hear it if you've got stories of how it's helped you it's really helpful for us to understand what's been going on as we've taught through it if there are areas of friendship that we've not covered that you would have liked us to cover Guess what? Four weeks is not enough to cover the vast topic that friendship is, and we may well go there again at some point. So if there are things that we don't cover and haven't covered, that you would like us to, please do tell us. Okay? Wonderful. Let me start with a disclaimer. Today we're looking at when friendship goes wrong. And I am going to speak very generally Clearly, there are all sorts of other things that could go on in relationships and friendships that I can't talk about today because I've only got so much time, and I am not speaking about anybody's particular specific situations in your lives, unless by the Spirit of God I am, but it's not my intention that would be God's. I'm not speaking about you this morning unless I name you. So far in this series, we have used this formula to understand um, how friendships are made and deepened. We've taken it from Phil Knox in this book. Close friendship equals time plus presence plus vulnerability. Close friendship equals time plus presence plus vulnerability. It's been joked that one of Jesus' greatest miracles is still having 12 close friends in his 30s. And the reason that that is funny is because we all know that meeting, keeping, and deepening friendships is difficult. Yet friendship is something that we all are made for and long for. We are made to know and to love and to be known and be loved. Friendship is key. We're made for friendship. One writer says this, Second to Jesus himself, I think friendship may be the greatest blessing that God gives us in this lifetime. I agree. In the words of Winnie the Pooh, a day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. Friendship is vital. And given that friendship is so valuable to us, it is incredibly painful and deeply sad when it goes wrong. And it is when it goes wrong, not if it goes wrong. Research shows that on average, people experience an unreconciled breakdown in friendship 30 times in their lives, once every 2.3 years. Makes you feel better about yourself, doesn't it? And that figure, combined with the conversations I've had with many of you through the last four weeks, combined with my own experience of friendship, gives me the sense that today we are in many ways walking on holy ground. And I'm a little bit scared, if I'm honest. We're addressing a vivid and tangible reality for many of us in our lives. And what I'm going to try and do this morning is help us to bring just a little bit of understanding to what is a vast topic. I'm going to try and do it gently. I'm going to try and do it clearly. And I'm going to try and do it in such a way that it leads to healing and growth in our lives. That's my heart. That's the heart of God, I'm sure, as well. If I fail, it's my fault, not his. But it is a very sensitive and real topic for many of us. We're going to consult the Bible this morning. You'll be pleased to know, not just Winnie the Pooh. And so we're going to read from chapter 1 of 1 John. It's near the back of the Bible, if you want to get your Bible out. Confusingly, if you're not used to the Bible, there is both a book in the New Testament called John, and 1 John, and 2 John, and 3 John. We're in 1 John, which is very near the back, of the Bible at the end of the New Testament. And we're going to read a few verses from chapter one. He says this. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't live out the truth. We make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Today, we're going to look at three major reasons why friendship goes wrong. And then we're going to look at how the words we've just read help us to respond when friendship goes wrong. Are you ready? Brilliant. Reason number one we're all still learning. We're all still learning. I don't know about you, but in my opinion, it looks like, for some people, friendship comes far more naturally than for others. You ever seen that in your life? They just seem to know how to click with people and deepen relationships. But the reality is this, no one is born with a complete and innate ability to perfectly navigate the incredible complexity of interpersonal relationships that humanity exists in. No one has that innate ability. We're all still learning. And personally, I think that researching and preparing for this series has caused more reflection in my own life and been more personally impactful than any other series I've ever had the privilege of speaking in. It's caused me to think about my own heart. It's caused me to reflect on times when I wish I'd done things differently. It's caused me to see situations from a different light, and I'm incredibly thankful for it, and I hope some of that is true for you too. Because the reality is, I have often resonated with the sense that friendship seems like some sort of mystical art, one that there's like secret temples for, that I've never been initiated into the inner realm of. I just did not know how people do it. Anyone else with me in my club? You look at people and go, where did you learn to do this? Yeah, I've always felt able to operate in groups. Um, I can make silly jokes. I'm from the Midlands, so they're normally self-deprecating silly jokes. I've always felt able to bring life to the room and be like the life and soul of the party, but it was never clear to me how people move from that towards deeper friendship. How do you move from surface level connection to actually knowing one another? I did not get it. And two things happened in my life in quick succession that helped me learn. The first was I got married to Jess, who is one of those people who is very good at friendship. And the other was starting working here at Hope Church with John Payne, who was very good at friendship. And both of these two things jump-started me into realizing that I didn't get vulnerability at all. That I, in my heart, had prized independence and self-sufficiency, and I hadn't realized how dangerous those two things are in our lives, because we're made for relationship. And so a combination of those two things in my life forced me to learn vulnerability. And I mean forced. I had no choice. John and I would go out and he would sit, often over a coffee, sometimes a cooked breakfast, and he'd look me in the eye across the table and he'd say, Adam, tell me about what has made you to be the person that you are. And then he'd sit there in silence. And I'd have to look at my life and go, yeah, what has made me like I am? And I'd talk, and I'd realize stuff about myself as we talked over bacon and sausage and eggs and beans and other things. Why do you do things the way you do them? When you start looking at that stuff, you go, wow, yeah, I, I can see this. I can begin to understand it. And I'd listen to him as he would do the same once I'd finished. And we did this for weeks. We, we, we diaried it. Vulnerability time. I'm not necessarily prescribing this for everyone in the room. I hated it. But both being married to Jess and sitting and being eyeballed by John Payne taught me the power of vulnerability, taught me that I needed to open my heart and share with some people in my life, that I could be known and loved. Because if I wasn't known, then I wasn't truly loved. It might be that you're reflecting on this as I tell my story, like, Adam, I've got vulnerability down. I'm Gen Z, not millennial like you. We do vulnerability, authenticity. Good for you. (laughs) Perhaps it's one of the two other elements of this formula that you're struggling with, because we're all struggling with friendship. That's my basic assumption in this whole series. Maybe it's time. As I said the other week, we are all hard-pressed, by the demands of time in our lives. We all live life in such a way that we are overcommitted and don't have time for things. We do. Maybe you're like, do you know what, I'm on that one, I Sabbath, I've got a diary. Maybe then for you it's the constancy of always being on that robs you of the ability to be present in situations in life. We are constantly contactable We are more vividly aware than any other moment in history that the world is flying past us at a pace and stuff happens and we don't know about it and that can feel awkward. And so we live constantly turned on to what's going on out there. And it's proven, I could list you the statistics and studies, that that robs us of the ability to be present in the moment face-to-face with other people. Maybe you've got vulnerability, but maybe you're never present. Maybe you can do presence, you just don't actually have the time to do it just leave it with you. If you want close friendship, you need time, presence, and vulnerability. We're all still learning. We're all still learning about friendship. And the strange thing about friendship is that unless we're actually involved in it, we don't often get the opportunity to see it at work. We don't get to see the inner workings of other people's friendships generally unless we're involved. Especially as men. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I have searched high and low for the source of a statistic I found about a year ago. And I can't find it, but I promise you this is what I read. And I checked it with Liz because we talked about it. And she's like, yeah, that's something like what you said. So that's good enough for me. 91%, so research says, of teenage boys never... See their father socialize with his own friends. Now, praise God, some of us in this room will be in the 9%. But that's like more than nine in ten never see friendship in action for someone they look up to. At one of the only times in life where we actually get a front row seat to other people's friendship. Fathers feel the weight of that. Men, we can learn from other people than just our fathers. But we are all learning. And so sometimes friendship goes wrong. Reason number two, if close friendship does equal time plus presence plus vulnerability, then changes in our life stage, our location, or our leisure activities will affect our friendships. And let's just be honest about this. Sometimes we forget that this is a dynamic going on. We've used the idea of circles of friendship a number of times through this series. Jesus had had the 12, but he also had three and and a one and then a wider 72. We've seen these idea of circles and here's an example of a change in life stage that affects friendship. When a new romantic partner enters your life, the experience of the heady days of romance mean that that person rockets into your inner circle of close friends. And it doesn't just mean one person leaves, but the research shows it means two people slowly drift, who were close to you, now drift out through the circles, because you just don't have the time to maintain more people in your close circle of friends. Some of you can look back in your life right now and go, that happened with such and such. I can do it. I can picture in my mind's eye several friendships I've had, They got a new girlfriend and suddenly I never saw them anymore. I can look at my own life and I can see some friendships that I had and then when I got a new girlfriend, I didn't have any more. Probably some of us carrying pain from experiences like that. When we have less time, we have less attention to give to other people. When we move house, it can be very difficult to maintain relationship to people who now live further away. In fact, the distance that really matters for this is one hour. Apparently, the studies show, if you move more than one hour away from someone, it's very likely they are going to drift out through your circles, because it's just too far to keep in touch with. You're going to reduce in intimacy and connection, and they will migrate out through the circles. When we hit a new life stage, maybe retirement, maybe having a new baby, It plunges us into a whole new experience of life. It radically alters the available time that we have and the emotional energy that we possess. And it can be very hard to retain closeness with friends who don't hit similar life stages at similar times. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. But it's difficult. Life changes and friendship goes wrong. Sometimes. And in these situations, no one's doing anything wrong. It's just that life's changing. The world changes. We live in a world where change happens. But just because no one's done anything wrong doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean it's not sad. Doesn't mean it doesn't mark us. I think we could also include in this point where things change, the experience that some of you may well have had when you arrive in a new place or you meet someone new and you seem to click, and you're like, yeah, we're gonna be best buds. We've got the same sense of humor, the same interests, same height. <laughs> some of us, it matters. And then you try and pursue it, and they're just not quite interested. It feels like you, you push and nothing comes back, and you're like, but I thought we connected, something resonated. And I'm trying, but nothing's coming back. Sometimes, it's not because anything's gone wrong, it's just that their circles are already full. They've not got the time. For them to connect with you in the way you want requires someone else to move out, and maybe they will. This can be particularly hard when we move to a new place, and we can arrive in a space. When we move to a new church, and we arrive in a place, and if everyone's circles are all full, we can feel like it's impossible to get to know people if I was to commission someone to do the research to band relationships in this church, who knows who and is connected with who, there would be a strong correlation to the people who arrived in the church at the same time as you. I'm convinced of it. Anyone wants to intern for Hope Church and do that research? Feel very free. Again, no one's doing anything wrong here, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. I remember for me one particular example, uh, when Jess and I met, she was in Reading, Um, and one of the pastors in her church, a guy called Scott, we got on really well. First time I met him, he threatened to break my legs if I hurt her. From that moment on, I liked him. And uh, we asked him to speak at our wedding. He did a great job. We went to stay with them not long after getting married. And uh, Friday night, we're there, we're sitting, we're watching England play a football match. In fact, I can tell you, it would have been the qualifiers for Euro 2012, which means England were playing badly, because I don't think we qualified in 2012. And uh, we're eating pizza. His wife had made dough balls. I can still picture the scene. We're in their living room. And we're getting on like a house on fire. And I'm like, I've met a friend. Yes. Looks up to him. He's he's like 10 years older than me. Everything I wanted to be in life. We're sitting there. And he said, said, Adam, you know, if you lived in Reading, we could be really good friends. It's like a dagger to my heart. (laughs) I'm like, Scott, we could be good friends anyway. I was was like, "We, we could be friends anyway, Scott. I said, mustering my composure and acting cool. And he looked at me and he said, Adam, I know myself well enough. And I know my life well enough. That I can barely keep in good contact with my friends who live locally. It's like, we would be good friends, but I know. I'm not going to be able to keep in touch with you living three hours away. And I remember being hurt and feeling betrayed. And it took me a while to get over it. In fact, still am. but he's right, totally right. Sometimes circumstance because of situations in life means that friendship doesn't happen or friendship changes and goes wrong. Neither of those are reasons you expected me to go into in detail today. You were all waiting for the reasons friendship actually goes wrong, and here it is, reason number three, sin. Reason number three that friendship goes wrong is sin. We've looked at two reasons where it's not necessarily anybody's fault, but there are many occasions in our lives where friendship goes wrong because of something that one or both parties has done. Amen? That wasn't a very enthusiastic amen. It's true. And these verses that we've read from 1 John at the beginning of the talk, they call these things sins, which is a common Christian word and concept, but let me try and explain it for us if you're not familiar and how it links to our topic today. Sin basically means this, the human heart is inclined to turn inwards, to self-centeredness, to putting ourselves first at the expense of God and our relationship with him, at the expense of other people and our relationships with them, and at the expense of creation around us and our relationship with with it this turning inwards of the heart is what the bible is getting at when it talks about sin jesus said the greatest commandment is this love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul strength and love your neighbor as yourself the original command given to humanity at creation is be fruitful increase in number fill the earth and care for it Sin, the turning inwards of our heart, fractures, distorts and pollutes all three of these relationships. It puts ourselves before God, it puts ourselves before others, it puts ourselves before creation. And as we look out at the world, we see this in action. We see the consequences of sin everywhere, including in our own lives and friendships. We see it in a snide comment that puts a friend down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves we see it in the moments when our desire for comfort means that we do what we want rather than helping a friend in their moment of need we see it when our desire to impress or to please another person causes us to overpromise or overcommit and then fail to be true to our word when envy creeps through our body because we see a friend of ours having a good time with somebody else, that is sin turning our hearts inwards so that we're focused on our lack rather than celebrating our friend's happiness. When we keep a record of wrongs and begin to keep score, sin is turning our hearts inwards so that we're making sure our needs are met and neglect to cover consider the needs of our friends. When we erupt in anger because something hasn't gone our way, that is sin, turning our hearts inwards so that we become elevated in our own eyes above other people and try and force them to do what we want by our anger. Anybody else in the room scored six out of six? There are three reasons why friendships go wrong. Number one, we're all still learning. Number two, things change. And number three, the presence of sin in our lives and the world. And before we move on, it is important I take a minute to say clearly that some of us will in the future, and many of us will have already in our lives, found ourselves in friendships where the other party has an established developed, unhealthy pattern in their life because of sin, and the consequences damaging for people around them. It could look like bullying, could look like control, could look like narcissism, could look like physical violence, could look like passive aggression, It could also be the opposite, where the other person elevates you so much and expects such big things of you that it's unbearable because they're looking for you to be their savior and you can't bear that weight. These traits can all become deeply damaging and destructive to other people. Our passage in 1 John talks about them as walking in the darkness. Walking in the darkness. Being completely unlike God. The pressure of situations like this can make it impossible for us to feel able to speak up, to point it out to someone or to respond appropriately to their behavior. And if you find yourself in that kind of situation, particularly if it involves some sort of power imbalance in church life or in the world's life, I'd encourage you, please speak to Marilyn. She's our safeguarding coordinator here. If it's not a safeguarding matter, she will still listen to you, hear you and point you in the direction of help. If we're able and do speak up about things that aren't okay in a friendship and the other person doesn't see it, they refuse to acknowledge it, or they acknowledge it but refuse to do anything about it, again, our passage has words for those people. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I'm about to trace out three ways we can respond when friendship goes wrong, and I'm not talking about this kind of serious situation when I do so. It's never acceptable for somebody to repeatedly damage the emotional, spiritual, relational, or physical health of another person. It's never acceptable. If you find yourself in a friendship like that, or a relationship or a setting like that, it is likely best that you walk away. Take counsel from people you trust, Marilyn, pastoral leaders here, your midweek leaders, a friend that's not involved. But it's okay when a relationship is repeatedly destructive to walk away from it. I believe we're living in a day where God is bringing things like this to light. Things that were hidden in the darkness, excused because they worked and got results, Those things are being exposed in our day for the sake of God's kingdom of righteousness. We could, I'm sure, many of us list story after story of prominent people, leaders in the church and leaders in the world, whose misdeeds have been exposed, whose sin has been exposed. Friends, more stories will come out in the coming weeks, months, and years. This is a good thing it is a good thing that the Lord is exposing what's gone on in darkness in our day so that the church in particular can be safe. What's being exposed is heartbreaking. The devastation left in many lives is overwhelming. I have spoken with more people than I can count in this church through my 12 years who have suffered things like this many times at the hands of leaders, very sadly often in church. But God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. His church is called to be the same. Hope Church should be the same. And that leads us nicely onto the first thing I want to say about responding when friendship goes wrong. Number one, walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When friendship goes wrong, friends, the call is this, walk in the light. Don't dabble in the darkness. It's very tempting to shout back. It's very tempting to gossip behind their back. It's very tempting to repay like for like, but followers of Jesus are called to walk in the light light as he is in the light it can seem very satisfying to repay like for like in the moment even more satisfying to double it up but when we do so piling sin on top of sin only amplifies the damage and moves us away from God because we're stepping into the darkness with God my friends it is always the glorious light of midday He never turns to night. He never fades towards the murkiness of dawn or dusk. The narrow path that Jesus calls us to walk on only runs through righteousness. Ungodly means of achieving godly ends are not acceptable. The path following Jesus looks like loving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and caring for the creation around us at all times. I've described sin before as the inclination of the human heart in on itself, in self-centeredness. And the Bible says that those who have placed their faith in Jesus have had their old heart of stone removed and a new heart of flesh put in. It says it's they've been born again. They've been converted from darkness, from hardness to light, to a heart of flesh, a heart that feels. They've been freed from being a slave to sin. They're now able to resist The inward turning of the human heart. If you're a Christian here this morning, a world-changing thing has happened inside your ribcage. Your heart has been made new. The victory of Jesus over sin and death on the cross means you can resist the temptation to turn inward on self, and you can turn your heart towards God and your neighbor and the world around you. When friendship goes wrong, choose to walk in the light. Conduct yourself honorably. Follow the way of Jesus. Response number two, fight for reconciliation. 21st century philosopher Cheryl Cole puts it like this in her double platinum selling single. You've got to fight, 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 fight for this love. If it's worth having, it's worth fighting for. Want to sing with me? <laughs> 19th century Scottish theologian Hugh Black agrees with her. Our brother or sister may be so offended that he or she is harder won than a strong city, but he or she is far more worth winning. And even if your effort is unsuccessful, it is better than the cowardice that suffers a bloodless defeat. Mm. Who wants to fight for reconciliation now? Come on. Fighting for reconciliation takes humility and courage. The first to apologize is the bravest, as Nicky Gumbel says in his Bible in One Year notes. Fighting for reconciliation requires us, first of all, to critique ourselves. How good a friend were we? What support did we give? Where did we fall short? And why? In fighting for reconciliation, how good a friend we felt the other was to us is secondary. Because it's beyond our control. We can't do anything about it. But we have received grace from God, through Jesus, and we were the ones who wronged him. Yet he poured grace into our lives. When we fight for reconciliation, we are taking the opportunity to imitate Jesus, to look like our father, to lavishly give grace to another. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. There's a study that Robin Dunbar quotes in his book on friendship that says the longer you leave it to pursue reconciliation, the less likely reconciliation is. He says if you leave it a week, there is on average a 40% chance of your relationship being restored. If you leave it a year, that drops to 1%. I'd like the figures for the next day, which is, of course, the Bible's wisdom. When friendship goes wrong, fight For reconciliation. Be humble. Be courageous. Go again. Response number three. Confess your sin. When friendship goes wrong, it isn't only the friend who's been sinned against. Shock horror. Verse eight and nine of the passage we read say this. If we claim... To be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Reconciliation will involve us confessing our sins to one another. It will involve us saying, I'm sorry that I snapped at you. My brain is totally full of worry at another situation that I'm struggling to trust God with. You did not deserve it. I am sorry I snapped at you. How good are you at apologizing? But it's in confessing our sins to God that the Bible says we find forgiveness, purification, and the power to change. You don't need to go and sit in a wooden box with a partition and a priest on the other side in order to confess. You have a priest in heaven. His name is Jesus. As we heard last week, all it takes to begin that conversation is, hello. Confessing our sin looks like naming our sin to Jesus. Expressing our sorrow about it. Asking for the Holy Spirit's help and strength to break the pattern in our lives and asking for his insight to show us what else is going on in our hearts which is connected with it. I want to put it to us that we have lost the art of confession. We think we just need to do the first two. But if we ask God for insight into what's going on in our lives, he loves us. Why would he not put his finger on things? We must pay attention to what comes to mind and act on it in these situations. Response number three, confess your sin. Here's the reality. This is what I'm working on today. Many of us in this room will be carrying significant guilt and shame. Many of us in this room will be carrying significant hurt and fear from lost relationships. Friendships in which we were wronged, and we wish we'd been quicker to forgive. Friendships that petered out and we wish we'd fought harder to maintain. Friendships that were broken by our self-centeredness and we wish we'd been quicker to apologize. Today's passage points to a forgiveness and a hope that are far greater. It points to a forgiveness and a hope that is a balm to hurting souls. There is hope for us all. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is no shadow in his faithfulness. He will never, ever fail as a friend. He does not lie to you. He will not abandon you you he does not change he will not move away get a new hobby or a new romantic interest when Jesus in John 15 says that he calls those who follow him friends it is a monumental promise and one we would do well to remind Jesus of regularly and to remind ourselves of daily It's a promise we can hold Jesus to and take great comfort from. Whatever is happening in your life and wherever you are, you can turn to Jesus and find a friend. You are never, ever friendless if you've given your life to Jesus. Though every earthly friend might fail or leave you, he will never fail or leave you. He is always good, always near, quick to listen, and eager to forgive. If you don't know Jesus this morning, as I've just been describing him, these words that we've read are life-changing. Everybody can see that humanity is failing to love our neighbor as ourselves and it's not working well for us. Everybody can see that we have failed to care for the creation around us and it is not working out for us. Friends, the Bible says it's very clear. These both stem from the fact that we have turned inwards and it's cost us our relationship with God. And that from that flows the broken relationships with humanity and creation. But the good news of Christian hope is this, though humanity has turned away from God, God has not turned away from us. Though we loved the darkness, Jesus came into the darkness, the true light that gives light to everyone. Though we had broken our relationship with God, he fought for reconciliation, whilst we were still far away. It's as if he said to himself, Cheryl Cole is right. If they're worth having, they're worth fighting for. His son Jesus fought temptation and death and sin on your behalf and won. It was far from a bloodless defeat. It was a bloody death. Blood ran from the wounds in his wrists, ankles, and side as he succumbed, In sacrificial death on the cross. But it made our reconciliation possible. It made it possible that we could be called friends of God. His resurrection from the grave demonstrates to us that he was not defeated. And shows us that we've been offered the gift of new life. If we confess our sins that we've loved ourself over God, over others, and over creation. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christianity is good news. It's the news that makes sense of the world that we find ourselves in the middle of. If don't know Jesus today, that can change. and you can know Him as friend. Joe, Phoebe, do you want to come back up? We're going to sing to close. Give us a moment just to respond. I have thrown many things at you this morning. I want to finish by praying as we move into worship. So could you rise to your feet if you're able and willing? Father, we recognize before you this morning the pain in our lives caused by friendships that have gone wrong for all kinds of reasons. We acknowledge before you that we have sinned, we've fallen short, we've hurt our friends. We've sinned against you. But Lord, we're so thankful for these words in your scriptures. We're so thankful that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray, Lord, as we hold our pain before you this morning, would you come and soothe our hurting hearts? Would you remind us that you are the friend who will never fail us? Would you remind us that forgiveness is a breath away because of the victory of Jesus Christ, our King. I pray, Spirit of God, move amongst us. Bring healing, bring conviction, bring salvation. If Jesus sounds like someone you'd like to be friends with, you can just say hello and tell him that yourself right now. For the rest of us, let's lift our voices and worship Jesus together as we close this morning.